Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Inspire Me podcast. On today's episode, I'm speaking with rugby legend Richard Hill. Richard played for England for 11 years, but he has also played in three British Lions tours from 1997 to 2005. During his time playing for England, Richard was the only player never to be dropped by Sir Clive Woodward and he played a key role in the victory over Australia in the 2003 World Cup final. Richard was part of the successful Lions tour to South Africa in 1997 and in 2001 the Lions won the first test against Australia but then Richard was controversially taken out on the pitch which many people felt was the deciding factor to the Lions ultimate defeat in that series. Richard is now the England rugby manager but in our conversation we will be focusing on his playing career as he was described by All Backs legend Zinzan Brook as the best rugby player ever at a talk of my school. So let's get started. I want to start by saying, so obviously you had an amazing uh, rugby playing career, but was it clear from an early age that you uh, had the ability to play at such a high level or did you develop later on? I would believe I developed as I went along. Uh, I'd like to think I was a good player when I was a young player, uh, but I, I didn't dream of playing for England, but I don't. I didn't really think it was a possibility that I was going to. I probably wouldn't have even known what the route was to get there when I was, say, your age. Uh, but as you play more, the more you enjoy it with friends, the greater involvement you get. We. You know, I got to play in some teams where we had some cup runs, which picked, pit, pitted us against some players and some teams that were probably on a different circuit and a slightly better standard. Uh, and the more you play in those games, the more you stay in them and feel like, you know, we were as good as, if not better, or we were better, then you realise oh, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate I had a friend who was a little bit older, uh, well, a little bit one year older, and so he was he was doing everything that I was going to hopefully do the year after. So I was starting to see uh, what he was achieving when he was about 15. Mm-hmm. And obviously you didn't know that you were going to play for England. And so did you play any other sports growing up or did you just sort of love rugby, but you didn't think it was a possibility to play for England? Uh, look, r- rugby was the, the my number one participation, uh, but uh, I was also keen to play in any sport I could. Uh, I had friends who lived close by, and I, I suppose the other part was I went to a very small primary school. Uh, there was only 64 kids in the primary school. Um, there were only four in my year group. So if the, if, the, if the school wanted to put out a football team, they would have to go down to three years below just to be able to get 11 players because uh, it was a mixed school as well. Uh, so, yes, I'd, I'd play football, cricket, rounders, uh, athletics, um, anything I could. Uh, normally, when I went to secondary school, I made the athletics team if it was a weekend event. If it meant missing school, other people seemed to find some higher throws and everything that they, they would get into the team. But not that I'm ungrateful about that at all. So you played flanker for England, but what position did you play when you were younger? No, I was very fortunate. At a younger age, uh, I got variety. Um, so I was forced into more limited forward play. So I ended up in the front row, whether prop or hooker. 
tried to migrate my way out to the second row. And then when, you know, you get that much older and you do have eight people in the scrum, that's when I kept went out to the back row. But even when I played, I mean, I'd be a 10-year-old playing under 13 rugby. There was an agreement that anyone who was in that under 13 team, if it was if it was their year group, they would play their position. Uh, so I did a lot of uh, infilling that season. So mainly fullback or winger, um, but occasionally I might step more into a 10 or... 13 or 12 even uh, position but no there was good variety uh, but specialism in back road yeah that was that was more when I became about well 12 13 14 myself and was playing with my own age group in those positions and what was it sort of uh, like to be called up for England uh, for the first time and to be told that you were to play uh, your first match was in the Six Nations against Scotland yeah. right it was, it's a strange process back there. I'm going to tell you something that you won't even know about. We used to find out through something called teletext, uh, which was almost like the equivalent of um, the internet on your TV. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I found out, it was, I think it was probably about 11 o'clock one Monday morning, uh, sat in my flat in Grange Park on my own, and yet yeah, flicked on teletext and there it was the squad announcement so that's that's when I first found out and I had to wait a week um, before I actually joined up with the team and also had to play a league game uh, can't remember it was against Wassel Harlequins that weekend so you know I still had to navigate my way through you know a match and making sure or not making sure but ha- hoping that not only did I play well but I didn't pick up an injury before the next week. So you had a few injuries during your career and sometimes in the most important parts. Um, How did you come to terms with it? But also, did you get disappointed or did you just accept that it was part of the game? Yes, uh, sadly, you know, know, injuries were part of a a career and were always likely to have a a presence within it. Um, And anyone who's not even a professional sports person knows that when you can't play sport, if it's what you want to do, it's it's uh, it's not ideal. It, it can be a bit depressing at times, um, particularly when you, you love it and you want to be out there so much. So, yeah, it was tough. Um, I was fortunate that most of my career, uh, injuries were towards the latter end of my career. Um, I did have one, what was it, probably oh, just about a, just over a year into playing for England, which ruled me out for about three months. And that was the first time that I'd had a significant period off during a season. Uh, which which is worrying. You don't want to be giving your place away at your club. You certainly don't want to be giving it away at international level because you know, the person who's in, your, in that jersey has the rights to it, the ownership, and anyone who wants to take the shirt then has to play better. Um, and you can't be frightened of that. Um, but when, you know, even when I look at you know, a couple of the longer-term injuries... One, yeah, you do have to look at your mental health uh, and make sure that's right. And that's around making sure you've got good people around you. Uh, but B, you've got to take it as an opportunity to improve, um, come back a stronger player. Uh, I think sometimes when you're in uh, the, the, the process of just constantly going one season to the next, uh, it can be difficult sometimes to look after every aspect of your your, your growth, your physical uh, abilities. Um, so when you get an injury, it's a time to press the reset button and work out, well, look, I've got to get this injury right, but what else can I be improving and, and making better? Uh, 
so yeah it's people around you but also having that understanding that you, there could be some setbacks in it and it's not about the here and now today it's about the growth that you've had over the last week and i think sometimes we can you know know what we've done today and then go in tomorrow and we have a minor setback where we're not able to do what we did yesterday but it's more about what the improvement was you made in the last week or possibly the last two weeks that shows that you're on the right track mm -hmm. and what sort of pressure is there you know for a young player like when you were younger trying to get um, into the England team because you know there's obviously everyone's fighting for a place and you got to work really hard what sort of motivated you to keep going and to always like when you when you come back from injury to definitely keep your jersey as I say there was there was only really the one point early on in my career where that happened and I, I, so I wouldn't say it's more from the injury point of view it's more having um an enjoyment for the sport, a pride in what you're doing and wanting to be the best player you can be. Uh, you, can, you can still play for England and not be at the best of your ability, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean the team are going to go very well then because you need 15, 23 players and, and even more than that on you know, over a given season now where players are trying to be the ultimate professional. Uh, you stand the best chance of winning a World Cup if you've got a squad of what, you know, going forward of what will be 33 players are all galvanised by one common goal. And the common goal has to be about pushing yourself harder and being the best each week during a World Cup period, which is, you know, seven games over a seven-week period. Mm. And, you know, about the World Cup, um, leading into the World Cup, you suffered from a hamstring injury, but then you managed to play in the semi-final against France. Um how how exciting was it to play in a World Cup and know that you had the chance to win a World Cup? And what sort of pressure was there to sort of perform to the best abilities and, you know, win it? So we'd, we'd given ourselves the best chance going into that 2003 World Cup. We'd had an outstanding 12-month period where... We were, well, sorry, we weren't unbeaten. Uh, we'd lost in a warm-up game against France, but ultimately, you know, that 12-month period, we'd beaten the best teams in the world, uh, you know, all of them. Um, we'd gone from being a team that were beating Australia, South Africa, New Zealand only at home uh, to being able to beat them away. And there were two significant results that summer against Australia and New Zealand in, in those countries. Uh, so that gave us a huge confidence. It also gave pressure that people, you know, they respected us, but they also now wanted to beat us knowing that we could beat them. Uh, so there was, you know, there was that pressure. And, you know, so we went into the tournament confident. And, you know, we knew that there was one significant game against South Africa, which was the second game up. As you say, sadly, I picked up a hamstring injury in the first game and, while selected to play in that South Africa game, unfortunately, I wasn't fit and wasn't realising at the time it was going to be four weeks before I was fit. Uh, but, yeah, the, the guys who uh, performed and played in that South Africa game were awesome. Um, you know, got the victory that was needed. Um, if anything, that probably meant that we then, then went on a game, you know, a run of two or three games where we weren't necessarily performing to our potential. Uh, the standards we'd set ourselves, uh, you know, had to come from behind uh, to beat Samoa. 
in the, in the third game. Uh, Uruguay wasn't quite so much of a problem, but then we had to fight incredibly hard against Wales uh, in that quarterfinal. Some tactical changes that took place, um, you know, from selection at halftime, but also the tactics, uh, which paid off, um, which then allowed me to be able to still play at the World Cup uh, and come in against France. Uh, a result that was pretty good, um, pretty miserable uh, weather conditions, but um, yeah, we kept the pressure on them after conceding an early try, and and that was the important part. Once we kept the pressure on, we never released it, and that allowed us to to get to the final to play Australia, who had an outstanding result against New Zealand um, the same weekend that we'd won our game against France, uh, which which set it up for an amazing occasion because you're playing against the host nation as well. Yeah. And when you actually won it, what was going through your head? Was it the, the fact that, you know, you just won the World Cup or was it the fact that you've worked so hard? You're, you know, you've did, dedicated your life to playing rugby and it's like finally everything's paid off and you've just want, gone and won the biggest thing in rugby. I think you're probably right there with the, the latter. It was relief, um, personal relief in the I thought the dream was slowly slipping away with the hamstring injury. Um, whilst, you know, the, as I say, I'd been expected to be fit immediately in the set for the second game to then not be available for the quarterfinal. Uh, you're then wondering, well, even if I do get fit, will I be selected? Um, so there was that relief. There was the pressure, of, as, as I say, of going into the tournament as favourites, uh, playing against Australia, who... Yeah, we'd beaten convincingly only two or three months before the World Cup uh, to now be playing them. And, you know, in, in a first half that we dominated, really, um, they, they scored one great try uh, with a crossfield kick uh, to score in the corner. But other than that, I thought we played really, really well, had a chance to put the game beyond them, uh, but, but, but didn't take the opportunity. So fair play to Australia. They came back and they came back strong in that second half uh, to, to level the scores. And even in the, in the, in the extra time, uh, you know, it, it went to that very last minute. So, you know, it was, it was a, a great battle, uh, but the relief was there physically, but mentally as well. Uh, but then, you know, there is also the, the, the sheer joy of winning it as well. Mm, exactly. And, you know, you talk about the mental side of it um, when everyone's obviously on the field to play, like they're winning to win. They all want to win. But how do you um, keep calm when the whole world is literally watching you? Uh, it, it's probably the, the bit that most people don't get to understand. It, it's, we're probably the calmest people. Well, I think we are. <laughs> um, incredibly nervous and you feel the pressure building up to a, a, um, you know, a big tournament and certainly a big game like that final. Uh, sleep becomes one of those bits that you don't necessarily get it when you want it, but you have to find it during the day or that week. Um, you do question yourself pre-match. Why do I do this? Why do I put myself through these nervous moments? But once the game starts... It's you're into your world, you're into your jungle. Um, you, you, you feel comfortable, you feel at home uh, and you're just playing what you're seeing. Well, that's what it felt like for me. Um, the, 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 nerves, the nerves fade away uh, and you're just into playing rugby. 
Uh, and you know, that's probably why, you know, sometimes we get these messages that come on from coaches and that still happens now, you know, they've got the radios, they speak to the medics who pass on messages, you know, sometimes, you know, it's the players who have got the greater coolness and understanding and got a greater feel of how the momentum is going in a rugby match. So now we're going to have a quick break and I'm going to ask Richard some random questions. What would you say is your favourite TV programme? I think now, I didn't watch it when it was live and it was a, it was a big series, but I do find myself now migrating more towards Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's nothing on TV and I just nip over to a certain channel, there it is. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that more now. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what would be your top two favourite chocolate bars? Okay. Top would be double decker, and second one I've got to be careful to make sure I call it call it its modern name. It's a Snicker. Ooh. Used to be a marathon in the younger days. Snickers. It's had a name change. And if you could be the president of one country for the day, which country would it be, and why? I'm going to go with America. Fair enough. One of the big superpowers. If you're going to do it, do it big. Yeah, fair enough. You've got a lot of responsibility there, mind you. Yeah. You don't want to make any mistakes, so you're pressing the wrong buttons or giving the wrong command. Exactly. And what advice would you give to someone that's looking to be a professional sportsman or woman? Or um, what advice would you give to a younger player that's looking to take their rugby or whatever sport they play to uh, the next stage in their career? Uh, I'd say it's about understanding you, uh, understanding your body, understanding how you work best. uh, And therefore, you have to understand what the strengths are of your your sport you know what you what you bring to the team or the individual event you do uh and with that will come with areas particularly when you're young of what you'll need to improve um you know if we look at the position of prop with young young players there's no way that they're ever going to start as an 18 year old in the adult game being a complete player yeah they just they just haven't had the experiences of of scrummaging it's it's just not possible but one thing they can do is commit to, to knowing, you know, what what improvement they need to make and the people that they're going to need, have to utilise along the way. You can't just expect it to happen. Um, it's going to take some hard work along the way. So, you know, as I say, understand your strengths, know what you want to work on and then commit to the hard work it takes to, to you know, make yourself a complete player. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, you had to work really hard. And what sort of sacrifices did you have to make uh, to get you to where you are, you know, in your career? Uh, yeah, look, people talk around sacrifices, and I, I can't deny that you have to make some career choices. Uh, the sacrifices are probably more for those people around you, and the sacrifices they make. Uh, you know, you look around Christmas periods, New Year, you know. There are always matches around Christmas and the New Year. Um, so for professional sports people, if you are doing that, then it does involve training. Uh, so you're very unlikely to get the week off and just turn up for the match. Um, so you are going to make either personal, you know, the team are going to make some sacrifices around the amount of time they can spend with their families. 
Um, socially, you know, you've got to make the right choices. Um, you know, I think your, your social interaction with others uh, and going out and doing things is massively important for your own mental you know, welfare. Um, but you do also have to understand that there are some choices you make with a social life around how they can impact on your preparation for a game, the training you might have that day, the next day. Uh, and then ultimately, it's around how it impacts on your performance. And on those tough days, like how did you like stay motivated when, you know, oh, it's pouring with rain or something like that? Yeah. Uh, rain is a fact of life. Uh, and fortunately, in a position I played in, in the back row, you can make a name for yourself when the rain comes out because the ball's slippery, it's on the floor, it's all over the place. And if you're prepared to dive around and act like a lunatic, then that's, that's fine. Uh, so... You know, I, I, it wouldn't bother me around going out and doing an hour's worth of training or whatever it might be on Christmas Day. Um, opportunity to get out of the house, some might say, food um, <laughs> preparation. Uh, but again, I think I mentioned it earlier around support structures, um, you, you know, family, friends, loved ones, you know, what, whatever it might be, people who offer you sound advice or, or support that you need uh, are, are, are crucial. Um, but you do also, you know, need to make sure that you give yourself if, if you're motivated to be the best player you can be, then you need people who can also motivate you. So I certainly surrounded myself uh, where I could uh, with, you know, teammates, friends uh, who would be prepared to push themselves as hard as I would, uh, who wanted to, to, to improve. And therefore, if, if it meant that it was raining or you were having a, you know, a, a down day, and I, I mean a down day of, yeah, God, I feel tired. I'm not sure I want to train today. Yeah, once the element of doubt comes in and they say, well, I'm doing it, invariably they drag you along with them. And once once you get there, the hardest part is actually getting out into the training part. Once you're out on the training pitch, it's fine. Um, but it's also making sure that the, the, the session you do is meaningful. Uh, we can all go out and do, you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour's worth of training. Um, but if you're not going to push it to the limit or challenge yourself within that session, then it's very unlikely you're going to make improvements. If you're not making improvements, then what's the point? Hmm. And, you know, you're saying about your teammates and stuff, and who would you say is the best player you've played with? Um, oh, very, I'm very fortunate. Played with some great players. Um, so I'm going to cheat here. I'm, I'm going to name a couple, but reasons why. Um, Martin Johnson obviously played with him and he was a colossal man, absolutely colossal man. Uh, great, great physical presence, a great galvanizer, great leader. Um, yeah, someone that you want in your engine room with you. Uh, you got Johnny Wilkinson, amazing tactician, um, unbelievable dil diligence uh, to his physical preparation. That was something I didn't know until 2003, how hard he was prepared to push his body and collapse on the floor and get up and do it again. Because um, we all saw that with his kicking, but we never saw it with some of the, the, the more running-based side of his game. Uh, but his goal kicking was clearly an, an important asset to our team, our team in, in winning. Uh, a player who could not only you know, do the basics of drop goals, penalties, but actually won it a World Cup final, kicking it off his less favoured foot. 
and doing it so well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if I can add a third, it's Jason Robinson, you know, a player who had skills, foot skills that I could only dream of. Um, an elusivity of running, uh, running in open spaces, ability to beat players on the outside, um, you know, a great running threat. So, you know, when you, we couple those three in amongst a great squad of players that we had, um, it, 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 I'd like to think that's why we were such a good team. Mm. And who would you say is the best player you've played against? Like, I don't know, from France, Australia, uh, New Zealand? Yeah. Um, the great man of Jonah Loma. Uh, a man, played for New Zealand, um, sadly got taken from us too early in life, um, but a man who had the physical prowess that no one had no one properly seen on the rugby pitch, or I certainly hadn't, in terms of a man so big, yet such uh, good footwork, good speed. And therefore, he, he had the equal ability to run over and through you as well as around you. So he, he was a tough man to play against. Mm. And, and did you prefer... Um, open side or blind side flanker or did you just like like them both and sort of you know not mind playing either one I didn't mind playing either one um, I just wanted to be in the team uh, I, I, you know I played a lot more as an open side um, it was more with England that I would play on the blind side uh, most of my club my Saracens club rugby would have been a, as an open side and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And have a great rest of 2022. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on here. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Richard for coming on today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. And I hope that I can release a new episode as soon as possible. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.